I learned nothing from Adam well, Schiff. I think he's a maniac. What would you want to learn if he testified? I think Adam Schiff is a deranged human being. I think he grew up with a complex for lots of reasons that are obvious. I think he's a very sick man. And he lies. Uh, Adam Schiff made up my conversation with the president of Ukraine. This report chronicles a scheme by the President of the United States to coerce an ally, uh, Ukraine, uh, that is at war with an adversary, Russia, uh, into doing the, the President's uh, political uh, dirty work. Uh, it involves a scheme in which Donald Trump withheld official acts, a White House meeting, as well as hundreds of millions of dollars of needed military assistance in order to compel that power to deliver two investigations that he believed would assist his re-election campaign. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So certain cognitively imperiled Republicans in their kind of special class have taken another standardized test and submitted their pre-buttle in advance of this week's hearings on impeachment in the House Judiciary Committee. They managed to fill in many of the circles on their standardized test, which is great, uh, though they did it in the usual crayon and it looks kind of puce and burnt orange to my eyes. But sadly... They use the circles not to answer the questions posed, but to draw a picture, as far as I can interpret here, I was leaked a copy of this thing, Santa Claus as a kind of hustler cartoon with its big butt showing, plus crowd strike, plus a huzzah to their godhead. It says godhead here. David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. That's right. They've gone insane. The GOP's pinwheel eyes keep on spinning. They've really gone off the deep end. And like Nancy Pelosi does, we pray for their recovery. But if it is not God's will that they recover, may they not humiliate themselves further as they stagger off into that good night. I'm with Jennifer Rubin in today's Washington Post. The defense of Trump that is the most galling by far is the one that says the president, when he tried ignominiously to sick Ukraine on Joe Biden, was actually gallantly trying to save Ukraine from corruption. He was being chivalrous. He has, as this Republican report says, a genuine concern about corruption in Ukraine. Genuine. Genuine Trump. Okay. Of all the laughable defenses, this one diametrically opposed to the truth. It's, it's like geometry. It's exactly opposite the truth. This defense says, essentially, Nicole killed OJ. Because if Trump had even a drop of concern for Ukrainian corruption, he wouldn't be advancing it by refusing to support important efforts to get back the money stolen by former President Viktor Yanukovych. Now, remember Yanukovych? He has so many parallels to Trump, they might as well still be on touch on WhatsApp. Like Trump himself, Yanukovych was a client of Paul Manafort's, now imprisoned. And like Trump, Yanukovych was a brutal fraud and lapdog to the Kremlin, absolutely terrified of accountability, he couldn't get fairly elected. So he tried to wipe from the face of the earth his principled female anti-Kremlin opponent, Yulia Tymoshenko. Guided by Manafort, who told him how to dress, just as Trump was guided by Manafort, Yanukovych got crowds to shout, lock her up, about Tymoshenko. Sound familiar? And in that case, he, unlike Trump with Hillary Clinton, got Tymoshenko imprisoned, landed her in a wheelchair. These people try to ruin their political opponents. And in this case, someone principled like Tymoshenko. 
Oh, and oh, on the way to doing all this stuff, Yanukovych fled to, oh, you guessed it, Russia at war with his own country. Russia is the nation right as we speak, still killing people in Ukraine. And guess how much he got away with when he fled? Some estimates put it at $100 billion. Now, we hear weird numbers like $100 billion all the time, and it's impossible to put that in perspective with the American economy. Let me put it in perspective with the Ukrainian economy. The whole GDP of Ukraine is $112 billion. Yanukovych took somewhere between $40 billion and $100 billion and wiped out this country. He brought Ukraine to its economic knees, amplifying the system of graft and blackmail. That means ordinary people in Ukraine now have to pay bribes to get even what they need for survival, police protection, groceries, schooling. Oh, but Trump's big, heroic anti-corruption measures in Ukraine to, to, to try to get that money back that was stolen from the people, to try to get the people to live good lives there, free of bribes and blackmail, Trump's genuine concern, it wasn't about any of this stuff. It wasn't about how to strengthen Ukraine so it continued to be a strong barrier, stopping Putin from making incursions into Europe, Hitler-style, I gotta say Hitler-style, and rebuilding that brutal Soviet empire. No, Trump was concerned about one member of one board of one company based in Ukraine, not even a Ukrainian company. Oh, and guess why he was interested in that one member? Oh, because his last name is Biden. Screw Trump. I genuinely mean it. This president is genuinely filthy, as are all those Republicans who defend him. My guest today is Harry Littman, the executive producer and host of Talking Feds. He's also a Washington Post columnist and former U.S. attorney and DOJ official. I'm glad to have him back. Welcome, Harry. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Okay, we should be starting off with a bang in that way that podcasts do, but I think Mm -hmm. we should be honest here. You and I have to admit, I have been feeling a little bit discouraged lately. Yeah, well, in general, but I, you know, I toggle back and forth. So I got up this morning and checked um, the the papers, which hadn't been my habit a couple years ago. So now, for one, I'm kind of awash in the news all the time, which feels a little debilitating in its own right. But I I read the highlights of the 123-page pre-buttal of the (laughs) Republicans. And, you know, part of part of you feels um, galled and irate at the complete blinkering of reality. But I also get when when you see the most extreme statements of, you know, no, there's no evidence of this at all. And it's all unelected bureaucrats. That's the new line on these honorable civil servants. And there's no evidence at, at all. I feel like, you know, sort of a kid in a comic book world where there is truth, justice in the American way, and then cut to a frame with the, you know, decrepit Nazi enemies with the prosthetic legs and the bad teeth cooking up things in the lab. I mean, this is a really, this is a major party in American life representing a minority, but, a, but you know, 40%, and they are 100% committed in a really critical, pivotal lesson or um, test of Uh American democracy to looking in the camera and lying through their teeth. There's not a one of them that could possibly believe what they're saying. The stakes, in a way, could not be higher. It Uh certainly, they have the option, they, they had it and continue to have it, of having some kind of tempered, modulated opinion about, 
yeah, this is not what we look for in the commander in chief and the take care clause. But Mm -hmm. his whip hand and bullying has them committed to a ridiculous account of the facts. And and I I first read it and my kind of advocate uh, engine starts and I think of the 18 ways to rebut it. Jennifer Rubin, actually, in this morning's Washington Post has a list of 12 things that you read. I saw that you linked to that. And I went to it myself because I've been somewhat obsessed with the argument that Trump is well-intentioned. This is actually something... That Uh, Ross Garber more or less anticipated would be a defense that Trump is a valiant anti-corruption crusader uh, in Ukraine. Can you friggin imagine? Yeah, No, exactly. I will say, by the way, on the comic books thing, my brother Andrew and I used to draw a set of comics. They were quite um, popular among the two of us called Red Secret Agents. And we got into a debate. And I think in some some ways all kids do. And we're having it now, whether there really can be something called the supervillain society, whether people, that's what we wondered about, SVS, whether people do evil as evil. I've been very careful in these matters not to jump to the Nazi analogies, even at times where they seem right in a particular way, but just that's, you know, too over the top. But the cop, you know, but uh, Schuster and Siegel weren't careful. They were they were happy to have, you know, nasty Nazis in their lab. And that is how it feels. I first have the Jennifer Rubin boom, 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 boom kind of advocates excitement of what a ridiculous argument is. But then I just feel like, why are we even having to to serve it up and mow it down in this way. It's so debasing to be yeah. having a debate of such high stakes and having to do it on these terms. And and in fact, now the preview is the terms are going to be even sillier come tomorrow, and they're going to try to tie Jerry Nadler and parliamentary knots and ask for the definition of bribery. And it just feels so deeply corrupt to me and obviously in a different way from Trump, but just deeply corrupt. This is they are called to account before the country and history. And they are so, so wanting. But anyway, so I'm a little depressed this morning, but I'm 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 shaking it off as we speak and ready to have a a human conversation. So Okay, so. all right, good. Getting to the heart of the irrationality though seems important. And yeah. there's definitely an uncooled cortisol system in the room. There's something I think of this I know you'll go with me here. Janet Malcolm <laughs> in one of her books has an account of being in litigation. So in 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 her case it was a copyright case. And she said that I've been divorced, but I've never been to court like that. It was relatively amicable divorce. But what she says is when you're standing, you know, on one clear side against the other clear side, you tend to absolutely demonize the other side. I mean, down to, and she's quite honest with herself, you know, the assistant of the opposing counsel looks ugly to you. And, you know, the way they manage their yellow pads seems sloppy <laughs> to you. You know, there's yeah. nothing they do, right? And Oh, that you know, bow tie. Oh, they're disgusting. Right, right, they're disgusting. And somehow I think of Lindsey Graham spouting off at the Kavanaugh hearings and saying, you Democrats will do anything to win. And we know he's posing, obviously. And what he often says is exactly, you know, what Republicans seem to be doing to us, right? But they are definitely in flames. I think Jordan, I think, you know, Meadows, I think, you know, in the Senate now we know Burr has lost his mind a little bit too, and Graham, obviously. But they they believe that, quote, liberals or communists or whatever they call the, quote, other 
other side are all those things just demonic and that they are allowed to deflate their footballs and, you know, position cameras so that they whatever that other baseball team did recently position cameras so they can see the pitcher signs. Yes, exactly. Astros take steroids, cheat in every possible way, cheat logic, spew unreason, do anything to defeat these people who they feel condescended to. They've imagined are some kind of monstrous, politically correct people that they are in some holy war with. That flare up when you see the hatred with which Devin Nunes regards Adam Schiff, you can't and maybe I'm projecting, but you just you know, you can't reason with these people. So first, that last sentence is a really important point, you know, just as a tactical matter. There's, you know, I think currently debate within the caucus. Do we bring more counts because, look, we wanted to keep it simple and we wanted we our strategy was actually built on having the maximizing the chance of winning. But they are telegraphing in in any way that they're, you know, obdurate beyond reason. But your general point. So you're absolutely right. You know, I'm a litigator sometimes and you feel this complete um, you know, complete choking sort of contempt. And then it, then things abate and you realize they're lawyers like others. And that is the argument, I think, that people in there, you know, honestly will be making on the Republican side. It's something goes something like, yeah, he's lying, but everybody's lying. But I look at that argument with clear eyes and I, and I think it's, it's in some ways as um, not just ridiculous, but sort of deplorable as any of them. But, you know, look, Clinton pushed to the wall, tried to bob and weave, pushed into a corner, gun to his head. He lied. But everyone made a huge deal about it. It was a single lie or or politicians all the time stake out policy positions they don't believe in. But the combination of the importance of this national debate and the brazenness of the factual lies here, I do not. and, And, you know, just starting with Trump, who you know, a lying liar who wakes up lying and lies all day. It feels to me not at all commensurate. And one of the defenses that they're banding about, yeah, but everybody kind of lies, is, is I think, both wrong and dangerous in a sense or deplorable here. This is a big, big, big unmitigated lie in a big, big, big national debate about the Constitution of the United States and constitutional norms. And, I, you know, I find the parallel, the argument of, from parallelism really uh, unpersuasive. Yeah, I think that's the when you have and that this is Janet Malcolm's point, when you have yeah. architecturally two sides of the aisle, when you have a Fox News, uh, you know, speaking lies and the rest of us trying at least to tell fact checkable truths. But that feels like both sides, even when it's a lie against the truth, it just the mind organizes it that way. And I think what I would do is and this is the only tool I have when I've had to, you know, show down with a Scaramucci type or um, mm-hmm. Mickey Kaus or whatever, is I go for the bless your heart Christian movie. So, <laughs> right. right? And this is... Oh, isn't that sweet? You think right? he's telling the truth. <laughs> yes, yes. But also, also it, it gets nastier still to take this yin angle where you start to, you just say, 
you know, I too have had cognitive vulnerabilities where I've allowed myself to take in disinformation. I once believed that Antifa actually posed a threat. I was affected by disinformation. (laughs) And so I, like you, understand how tempting it is to fall into some chupacabra account that Ukraine is the real killer and Nicole killed OJ and to revert, especially when you feel threatened. And you must have felt threatened by 2018 when it became clear the will of the people was changing. And this last weekend alone, actually, you know, 10 races seem to, to trend bluey. That's right. Yes. But I actually think not only is that sometimes effective at having a conversation, but it also is the truth. I mean, there's a certain brain softening of failure of common sense in the Republicans that you can draw a broader circle around. You know, I see. So you mean see, you mean Devin Nunes really was somebody's little boy, and he wasn't born for, from a dog or whatever? <laughs> uh, you know, well, Devin Nunes. I, so I, I haven't said it on the show, but I've admitted that a very, very close friend, formerly very close friend of mine, Lee Smith. This is my small version of the Conways. Lee Smith, very thoughtful, very wise, educated, kind of poetic soul, whom I've known for years, traveled with him, yeah. great friends with him, is now the chief propagandist for Devin Nunes. He, he's mm-hmm. Written a book called The Threat mm. Against the President with the same publisher as Don Jr. And he really advocates this whole Ukraine plot. And all I can think when I think about what happened to him is he he thought himself into some kind of status crisis. He sort of started to mm-hmm. think that PC people were taking over and that the Ivy League or whatever thought worse of him somehow and he got he just got a chip on his shoulder and you or that he didn't get what job and it went one after the other until finally he identified with that ressentiment that you know Nunes thing of these jerks like Adam Schiff you know, who think they're so much smarter than we are, you know, and he went on from right. there. And and there was an element of racism. There was an element of misogyny. And I just saw it slowly creep in and a kind of populism that became became twisted. And then I don't want to underestimate the damage he's doing just because I saw how it happened. You know, just because you can explain how someone gets gets radicalized doesn't mean that you then think, you shouldn't do everything possible to put that person, you know, put out, uh, us out of harm's way. Yes. Well, I look, so I agree with you 100 percent. And in particular, the the um, sort of overweening point that it's not a matter of reason and argument. It's a matter mm-hmm. of some kind of, you know, psychological attachment and to which reason then, you know, later attaches. But but mm-hmm. we're, you know, when you said Adam Schiff, it reminded me we're we're right now in a defeatist mindset. And mm-hmm. what um, what Schiff was so good at was uh, has been so good at continues to be is just, you know, taking that as a as a fact on the ground and moving from from there. So let's slap absolutely. ourselves in the face a little bit here and, and go to the, the real. I like uh, it. I like it. Splash some cold water. Also, you know, one one other way, aside from thinking um, condescendingly about people who are walking in darkness, right, is to think strategically. And Adam Schiff made 
maybe his triathlon background, whatever, somehow has that thing where he he stops his heart from his blood pressure from rising. Um, And he's able to bring emotion to the performance because he's a politician and an aspiring screenwriter, but also um, also kind of sang froid or, you know, sense that he's just very he's a very clever rhetorician. um, Gorgeous, gorgeous, because it's the sang froid. But with, you know, people were saying at the initially. Oh, he's not enough dynamics or not enough. But first, he was letting the witnesses do the work. But also, and I think of, of him as a prosecutor in the Central District of California, where I worked, um, you know, some I worked on the Rodney King case there. And he was around and it's the song flawed, but tempered by the moments of emotion. You look, you know, Jim Jordan and Nunez start every five minutes frothing and seemingly rabid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Schiff is not only not only a song flawed, but knows when to bring it up two levels, one, three levels, yeah. and it'd be all the more effective. That final peroration of we're better than that adjourned boom, yes. you know, left me left to sort of chill down my my spine. And I think it had everything to do with his with his restraint generally and 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 knowing when to abandon it and go for some kind of, of flourish. Absolutely. And the evocation at the last minute of Elijah Cummings, unspoken, yes. the author yes. of the We're Better Than This, who just died and was a hero, of course, to even someone like Mark Meadows. Um, yes. I thought that was really powerful. You you have your commitments. You have moral commitments and you must rise to them. I love yes. that. But I want to think strategically. Let's try to think yes. like Schiff. This okay, is shake it off. I'm, okay. And, right. So this is my big question. And let's pretend Trump is any president. He's fantastic. He's Elizabeth Warren. It doesn't matter who he is. What do you think about this theory? Even Trump, when faced with bankruptcy or if it, it seemed an overwhelming likelihood that he would lose in 2020. It, that finally, someone just showed him the polls. Uh, there's an instance in Michael Wolff's book where Jared Kushner right. comes to him and says, you might lose Trump Tower. And Trump finally gets it, right? Um, and um, and so someone comes to him and says, you might lose this election. And if you lose this election, we, we're ha- we'll have a president who will not pardon you. And if you're not pardoned for your federal offenses, you will not only walk out into the, you know, welcoming arms of the New York attorney general, who might be too cowardly to really prosecute him, but you will walk into the arms of SDNY and they will not, Judge Berman will not forgive you. And he's going to throw the book at you and there could be supermax. And if Trump faces that fact, and I don't think he's so delusional that he doesn't know he doesn't want to go to jail. If he faces that fact, I think he might resign. I don't. Um, well, I, you know, I mean, I do. I, it's the if. If he faces that fact and what what it means for somebody like him. I mean, he he's at every turn. He just seems to redouble, redouble and redouble again. So where are we? Sixty four two fifty six four thousand ninety six in in his in his thinking that it can't happen. Look, I he hates I think, to lose so much so that if he really felt he were going to lose, and not to mention going to the pokey, but just going to lose, he'd have a kind of Sarah Palin dynamic. I can certainly see it in my, you know, armchair um, thinking about this very complex um, psyche of his. 
But I think his instinct again and again and again will be to roll the dice on his on his base and, you know, maybe to try to get, you know, insurance policy from Pence or others. I don't deny that his irrationality might be tempered by, you know, really looking it in the face. But I, I just don't see the premise happening in fact. And here's another way to put it. I think mm-hmm. they'll, he will, you know, you, I, I've seen this scenario kind of kind of played out. Um and and uh, you know he he walks away and declares victory, but I don't think he would be able to. I would think he would see this as you know, and it's a Nixon level loss. I think it's what it turns on is could this really be brought home to him? You know, Jared Kushner said you might lose Trump Tower, but I don't see how it changed his. It, you know, it, it made him blink once, but. Then he goes back to his schoolyard instincts. But if we take out that he has some twisted psychology that makes him do what other people would do. Oh, I see. He's just a normal and rational guy. He's a normal, well, not exact, not rational, like post-enlightenment rational, but he is is self-interested like an animal. He doesn't want to, if he, if absolutely faced with being caged unto death. um, Spiro Agnew, Spiro Agnew. Yes. no enlightened guy, but he saw the writing on the, you know, yes. on on the wall and, and, yeah. and in fact in spray paint. So I can I we you have and to I assume, think could posit a set of terms. But here's like, here's just, where it would have just to start. evolutionary evolutionary psychology in the sense that he uh, yeah. he wants to live and not die. Although that, yeah. by the way, to me, I, I mean, he's talked very um, loosely about his own death. And one thing I think these these men have is a kind of almost a death wish. You know, when you hear Barr and Giuliani, their indifference oh, to their so legacies. And they talk. Wasn't that amazing? That moment with Barr. I don't, you know, I don't have a Homeric view of the world. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, well, here. So, okay. Let me then let me take it from another direction. I see that, but I think it has to be preceded by. So here's what I think could possibly happen. And this doesn't seem this seems like, uh, you know, eight to one shot, not an 800 to one shot. The political erosion continues so badly that Mitch McConnell determines uh, he's going to lose the major, you know majority uh, leader seat, and right. that the Republicans will, will have a historic uh, you know debacle of an election, and he parts company from from Trump, and he secretly wants to undermine him, and then he goes to him. Now that would of course have to be fairly soon, right? You know, maybe no later than mm-hmm. what February, et cetera. So that's uh, what when so when you say lose, I think it ha- it would have to be he he sees as a clear and present fact he's going to lose the election. So now he's really in Nixon uh, dynamic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. But if it, but if not that, and I've thought through these different scenarios and would would um, McConnell, you know. I think we talked about this before. My nominee, I know you have the attorney general, but my nominee for the second most wicked man in America um, would um, would, you know, I I, I don't see that happening. And so now we're talking about does this happen maybe over the summer when things are really tanking in the frenzy of an election? And I my best guess is he, you know, just soldiers on. That is very interesting to me. Um, and uh, lots of people seem to agree with you when I propose my idea that he'll do anything to stay away from uh, prosecution, federal prosecution, yeah. including, if necessary, 
resigning and letting Pence pardon him. Now, one crazy thing is the possibility, because so many pardons happen in the lame duck right. session. He could do it He's, after November. Right. So what if what if that happens? He loses. Yeah. And then he resigns. And President Pro Tem uh, Mike Pence pardons him in that time. That seems very plausible. And he, to me, here's but- my also crazy possibility. Trump they have a very quick, very big day in the White House where, <laughs> where Trump pardons Pence anticipatorily and then resigns and then Pence pardons him. It was because, all a perfect, perfect conversation. It couldn't have been more perfect. <laughs> it was so friendly. So, no, of course, that I could that I could see. And it's like consummate crassness. And sure, he you know, can you imagine the orange jumpsuit and no hair, you know, God, help for, right. for him? Yeah, I mean, a terrifying prospect. Of course, one that doesn't go away almost under he's going to be tied up in litigation and maybe the prospect of criminal stuff for probably um, the rest of his life, I think. And that's even calibrating a, you know, the heat will cool a bit. And and as happened, it's not like Nixon. It's worse than Nixon. But even so, when by the time Ford pardoned Nixon, there was a fair sentiment of thinking, you know, put this put this the hell behind us and there'll be some sentiment in that in that regard but you know evidence will continue to come out that's another thing he's been so this is clearly impeachable in and of it itself he's been he's yeah. been so obstructive and the now, now this morning there's another ruling some of this is gonna is gonna come out including by the we should have a special name for them the sort of special quizlings you know who whose head yes. would be shaved who will later say, oh, I was against him all the time. You yes. know, screw you. <laughs> you know, we were we were yeah. needing uh, that shot in the arm from you before. And, you know, yay for Bill Crystal. But um, at, yeah, at that at that point, I agree. All uh, all bets are off. But I, the fantasy has to be about and not fantasy. Look, we are playing. Democrats are playing a long hand in different ways. And so many of us and I include me here are are now focused on hopefully the, you know, a verdict of history and a general, you know, re-institution of the norms of democracy and the Constitution. And that already is a kind of, you know, half of a loss, you know, and and what you're positing, I think, are, of course, long shots. What else would they be? Mm -hmm. But they are long shots for an actual victory in real time. You know, I put this in victory turns. But but we should. I mean, the 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 you know, back to seven year old again. But the Constitution is under assault. It is losing. And for it to make a last minute comeback during the regulation time, you know, that would be an unalloyed good thing for for our democracy, for the you know, the last great hope on Earth, as Lincoln said. I mean, yeah. that would just be a damn good thing. And so it's to be um, dearly uh, wished for. And I think even as of three weeks ago, when this started, you, you know, you thought maybe there's some modicum of reason in, you know, you hear all the time if it were a secret vote, which, by the way, it could never be. That's a fanciful uh, notion. Oh, but oh if, really? Sorry, you were going to move to that. huh? But if it were yeah. a secret vote, he would lose. But, you know, the the some some actual, you know, dispositive result for good and against evil you know, still, we, uh, it have, has to be dearly, dearly wished for. So, okay. Ben Wittes, now he has two books out since this, but his old pinned tweet was about a republic if you can keep it, right? And you just said, last great hope, Lincoln's idea about democracy. I 
have to American think democracy. American yeah. democracy. Yes, I have um, really not Greek democracy, whatever that was. Um, I have <laughs> staked. Remember, they kind of, it's kind of in ruins. Yeah. Yes, I have staked my idea of my well-being for a long time, and I think many of us have on the idea that not just democracy and and a, and a, you know controlled market capitalism are not just good. It's something that you have to hold up like a religion, like it's kind of fragile, but it's good against evil, but adaptive. In other words, I like the statements about democracy that show its beautiful flexibility and ability and capacity to adapt, not its brittleness and how a uh, republic, if you can keep it, but instead something like democracy and checks and balances is how you govern a nation of even a nation of devils. It is so true because that's what happened here. They put a structure in place to be able to, to, uh, you know, adapt and continue to serve, you know, liberty, justice and and prosperity and and happiness. It's a it's a structure. And here we have I'll I'll now go to Bob Bowers. I don't read everything, but Bob Ah. Bowers piece in The New York Times two days ago. It actually appears that this I won't say the word has, you know, is. (laughs) Too much for the. It's actually warping the 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 carbon bonds of the Constitution. Is actually tearing the structure apart. Um, and it's supposed to be flexible, but there are we're, we're, we seem to be in a place where the Constitution maybe can't handle it. What a what a um, sobering prospect. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said, especially the carbon. I like the carbon bonds. Um, yeah. So, um, right. Speaking of sort of the natural world and how evolution <laughs> works, it's good to have a natural. I, I like. I just I feel much more confident than thinking, well, the Supreme Court are these kind of civilized judges and the Enlightenment must hold instead of thinking that sort of the laws of the jungle must hold where, yeah. you know, de- I mean, people jungle life, the Serengeti stays alive year after year and not because people are some animals are good and some are bad, but because it's a it's self-regulating system and one. The hopes. animals are animals. That's right. The but I mean, that's how, that was the view of the framers, too. Yes, and, exactly. You know, the, that's, we have a, fi- you know, an ultimate, you know, if fire break glass solution yes. and we're not going to break the glass. It's it's, uh, you know. So what does that mean? You know, does it mean a I, yeah. year, five years, 10 years till things stabilize or does it mean we're a quarter of the way you know, to Turkey and this actually is a precedent with purchase, you know. So I, I'm think, still betting on the first. Absolutely. We're we're cheering each other up. I am gonna tell you what is my um my order, and I've put this on Twitter, you maybe saw it, the order of things that I want to happen. So let's just put the unthinkable way down at the bottom, which is Trump's Trump's somehow bar blocks this whole thing once again, or or the Senate does. Um the conspiracy theories hold and Trump and Trump keeps cheating like he still is, and then gets uh gets reelected for another four years. And we're back, you and I are back on Trumpcast in uh, in 2028. In, in we're doing it in Sweden. Yeah, we're okay. doing it in Sweden exactly. But we're talking about you know the thousand year Reich is getting started in the US. Okay, right, unthinkable, right, okay. unthinkable. That's at the bottom of the list. Okay. My top we're- desire, of course, I don't want Trump to design to resign. Someone said on Twitter that you know I'm giving people hope, proposing he might resign and make this deal with the devil. No, I salivate over just like everybody else does the idea of bald Trump in orange. And 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 not slipping the knot of his his accountability in the federal system. I don't want him to make this to make this deal with Pence and get out of it. I just think he might. Okay, so that's not what I want first. What I want first is removal in the Senate, and here's why: I want 
the people rising up in Lexington, Kentucky, and here's where I'm going to get sentimental, but the people saying lock him up or booing him um, across the country in Minnesota, in Lexington, the people who flipped the country, the Virginia blue, the people pushing back on Susan Collins in Maine to make their um, voices heard like they're meant to do with the various senators and then make have McConnell make himself an adaptive decision that he's going to lose everyone if they yeah. don't vote to remove. And that would be a beautiful solution because it would be require the Senate to respond to the people like it's meant to do and get up on their hind legs and make a good decision. So that is my first choice. The other choice is having voted out. That's how another way that democracy might speak. Third is resignation because I don't want him above the law forever. And the pardoning is just another kind of bar-like slip the knot thing that I don't like. And then finally, the unthinkable that I won't mention again. So those are my first four. What do you want? All right. Well, so I'm with you. And look, from a medium view, you know, not too close, not too far. You can you can see it. Look, it's already over 50 percent that favor removal, not at, not just impeachment, but removal. And senators are supposed to be responsive. And you think about the overall dynamics. But then as has sort of happened the whole three years, the you, you get to a micro look and the sort of 42 percent and the fear that he's successfully instilled in the R's by individual R's. And that's when you start going down your list. But yeah, let's let's look at let's keep it the medium view here, and mm-hmm. uh, and I'll, and I will uh, you know I'll say I'll say right on to that. Okay, <laughs> excellent. My guest today has been Harry Littman. He is the executive producer and host of Talking Feds. Thank you so much for coming back to Trumpcast. I really enjoyed. Hope to be back soon. That's our show for today. What'd you think? Come to Twitter. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. And let's get you on a roll now. Go over and help save the Republic at slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Become a Slate Plus member today. Plus members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for the first year. That's really nothing. 365 days divided by, well, you do the math. Best of all, you'll be supporting our work. You'll feel virtuous. So go to slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced as usual by the great Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Merritt Jacob. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.